So I met a guy recently who invited me to go bouldering with him. Uh, his name is Ross. Um, Ross climbs several times a week. He's kind of a bit of an expert. Um, if, if you don't know, bouldering is like, um, it's indoor free rock climbing. Um, it isn't about height. There are no harnesses, so it, you're not climbing really high up a wall. Um, but they're all, you go into a room that has walls about uh, four meters high and it's just covered with all of these little uh, handholds. They're all color coded. And so what you do in bouldering is you choose a, uh, a color. Um, you choose a color run, so let's say a green run. And your challenge is to get from this green hold uh, near the floor to that green hold up there. Now I'm reasonably uh, fit and strong, so that part of it was okay for me. But I've never been before, and so I didn't understand the technique to bouldering and the technique to climbing. And so what happened to me often, I didn't sort of fall off, but what would happen to me is I would get halfway up a route and I would get stuck. I, 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 would, I would be on a couple of holds and I would be looking at a hold above me that I just couldn't reach. And I, I, I couldn't, it, it wasn't possible to reach it from where I was and I was stuck. It happened several times and you know, every time it happened, Ross's advice to me was exactly the same. Never did he say to me, you've just got to reach higher. Never did he say, you've just got to stretch, you've just got to jump. Always he said to me, I've chosen the wrong path. Always he said to me, uh, you need to actually go backwards or sideways if you just stretch your left foot out there and then your left hand there and sort of go sideways, then you'll be able to reach across to that hold. I always wanted to grab the next hold above me. What I didn't realize is that sometimes the way forward actually required me to go sideways or backwards first. What looked like a backward step for me was actually the way forward. And of course, you know where this goes, what's, what's true in bouldering is often true in life, isn't it? Sometimes uh, the, the obvious path, um, the way we understand things, the way we see things, what we think is the way forward for us, actually isn't the right path. And, and actually in order for us to go forward, we first gotta go backwards or sideways. So welcome to part six of a series that we're calling Surviving and Thriving. We're walking through uh, the letter of one Peter in the Bible. Uh, we say this every week, but uh, uh, Peter was a disciple, a follower of Jesus, and he became a leader in the early church, and he writes this letter about 30 years or so after the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and he writes it to uh, a number of churches, number of small churches, and when I say churches, thinks, think gatherings of, of people in homes and in cities, don't think sort of big organizations and buildings. He writes this to a number of churches in uh, an area of the world that we'd, we'd now call Turkey. And he writes to churches who are doing it tough. Roman Emperor Nero has made it legal, uh, has made it acceptable to persecute, to discriminate against Christians, even to kill Christians. And so Peter writes to uh, encourage the suffering, struggling Christians. Peter writes about the wonder of a life lived with Jesus. And he says that the worst that the world can throw at you is still nothing compared with the wonder of a life lived with Jesus. He says that even death itself can't compare to what he says is the inexpressible 
and glorious joy of knowing Jesus, both in this life uh, and in eternal life after this one. He writes that therefore, in light of this, in light of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, therefore, uh, we should live holy lives, lives that are, are set apart, that are not sort of conformed to, are not following the pattern of the way people are living around us, but are, are living differently, are following the example and the life of Jesus. And he goes into detail, we've been looking the last uh, a couple of weeks, of what this holy life looks like. Um, he talks about what it looks like in homes. He talks about what it looks like uh, in terms of the government. He talks about what it looks like in the way that we relate to others. And this week, he's going to go on and talk about what that holy life looks like in marriage. So uh, we are in uh, 1 Peter in chapter 3. Um, we're beginning at the beginning of chapter 3. As I've said before, if you're, if you're struggling to find 1 Peter in your Bible, start at the back. Uh, you'll find Revelation is the, the last book in the Bible. And as you start to turn forward, there are a number of really tiny books, Jude and 1 and 2 and 3 John, and then you'll come to 1 and 2 Peter. So we're in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to do what I do, uh, have been doing each week in this series. I'm going to read all of the text. Uh, and then we'll go back to the top and start sort of unpacking it and, and seeing what this says to us. So, uh, 1 Peter 3, beginning at verse 1. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives... Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery and fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way that the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to the prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, I want to start and be uh, completely honest and say that if you want to get people arguing about the Bible, just throw these words into a conversation. Uh, whether you call yourself a Christian or not, these are emotionally charged words for many people. And there's good reason for that. Uh, some people quote these verses as evidence that men are somehow superior to women. And we've all seen in recent years in our culture just how damaging that mindset and that attitude can be for everyone. 
Some people see this as evidence that the Bible is just an outdated and an irrelevant book. They read this and they say, well, you know, clearly, uh, clearly, if this is what's in the Bible, then uh, you know, the, the Bible's a complete uh, waste of our time and our energy. Some people will quote this as a good reason not to be a Christian in the first place. I mean, if that's what Christianity is, I want no part of it. And I want to say, I can understand that. On, on face value reading, at, at a quick reading of this, I can understand that. But I want to suggest to you today that these verses, that what Peter's saying here, is actually something quite different and something much more powerful. Uh, let's dive in. So, um, the first and perhaps uh, what I think are the, are the most important words in this whole section are the words, in the same way. Uh, other translations say likewise. Wives, in the same way. Wives, likewise. And, and that's really important because what it tells us is that Peter is connecting what he's about to say here with what he's just said. So a public service announcement, um, if you're watching or listening to this online, um, you really need to go back to uh, one of the, the previous message, what I, I talked about last week and the week before, to help you make sense of what we're about to say in this message. Um, for those of you who are here in live church, um, uh, bad luck, you'll just have to, you know, you'll just have to sort of catch up later. Um, so these words, in the same way, are really important because they tell us not to read these verses as disconnected quotes. Peter's saying, what I'm about to say here is a continuation of the thought, continuation of the ideas that I've been previously talking about. In other words, it tells us that there's a bigger context to these words. We saw last week in chapter 2 that Peter was unpacking what a holy life looks like. He talked about how we live in our communities, how we honour and respect others, how we submit to and follow the leadership of our governments. And now he's writing uh, about how followers of Jesus live within marriage. In other words, this is a continuation of his list of examples of what holy living looks like. So when he says, in the same way, he's saying that we need to have the same kind of attitude. He's saying that the same kind of rules apply for marriage as they do in our communities, as they do in the way we relate to others, as they do in the way that we relate uh, to our governments. That, that's why the language is so similar. If you're taking notes or you've got your Bible, um, I mean, just uh, circle chapter 2, verse 12, and chapter 3, verse 1, and you'll see that, that, these, that these two verses have a very similar structure, very uh, a similar kind of feel to them. And remember, of course, that the chapters and verses that we have in our Bibles, they were added hundreds of years after uh, the original letter that Peter wrote. They were added there so that we could find our way around all this text. But, but for Peter, this is a single letter. This is a single flow of thought. Sometimes we read it like, you know, chapter 2 and chapter 3, like, like they're, chapters of a, 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 you know, they're chapters of a textbook and they're somehow completely, uh, completely separate. But for Peter, this is a single letter, uh, a single flow of thought um, uh, that, that he's following through. Peter's saying that wherever we are, whether we're at work, whether we're in our communities, whether we're in our marriages, honour others. Treat everyone with respect. Submit to authority. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives. 
The first thing that's really important to note here is that Peter addresses husbands and wives separately. That's actually a really important fact that we're going to come back to. But before we get to that, it's probably really helpful to understand a bit about how marriage worked in the first century. In the first century, marriage was not an equal partnership between a man and a woman who decided that they wanted to live together and build a family together. Marriages were arranged, and are arranged between the father of the bride and the groom. Uh, the, the woman had little or no say in who she married or when she got married. And, and, and once they were married, a woman was considered the legal possession of her husband. She had few rights, if any. Um, other historical documents tell us that women and slaves had similar rights and standing within this ancient society. In other words, they had almost no rights and almost no standing. The point of all this is simply to say that for women to live somehow sort of under their husbands in a hierarchical sense, that wasn't news. Everybody did that. That was the way that everybody lived. This wasn't a church thing. This wasn't a Christian thing. This wasn't a God thing. This was just a society thing. This was just a thing thing. Women submitted to and lived under their husbands. In other words, no one's reading what Peter's writing here and saying, wow, you know, we have to submit. No one's thinking that way. The more important part of what Peter's saying isn't the word submit, but it's him saying, submit yourselves. Uh, Peter's saying that, that, that women in marriage are to make a choice to willingly do what is the right thing to do in that culture. In other words, he's saying the same thing to women uh, that he told everyone in the way that we relate to the government. He's saying, submit yourselves, uh, honour the government, um, uh, willing, willingly do what's the right thing to do in this society. He's saying, this is about making a deliberate decision to honour your husband. This is about making a, a deliberate decision to put the other person above yourself. But there's something else really important here that I don't want you to miss. What we tend to miss in our modern reading of this text is that it's really, it's really significant, it's really important that Peter addressed women at all. Because in most ancient societies, and it was true in the Jewish society as well, women weren't even included in the religious system. Women weren't able to be taught. Uh, women couldn't even go into the same part of a synagogue of a, what they called like their church building. Women couldn't even go into the same place as men. Women weren't taught. Uh, um, uh, women weren't, uh, weren't included in the life of the church in that way. Um, the, only part, the only way that a woman could be part of, uh, of ancient religion was through her husband. Now, we know that Jesus raised the status of women in radical ways. We know from, uh, from the Gospels that there were women included in his group. We know that Jesus taught women. We know that he interacted with women in public. And you might hear that and think, well, wow, that's no deal. It was a deal in the time of Jesus. That for a religious uh, teacher, for a religious leader, you just didn't do that. But Jesus did that. 
So the, the fact that Peter addresses women, and, and, and listen to this, and women of unbelieving husbands, it tells us that women were accepted and included in the early church. It tells us that women were coming to faith in Jesus all by themselves without their husbands. And that's a big deal. That's a radical step forward for the place of women in the church and in society as a whole. Don't miss how radical this fact is for women and for the church and for the culture of that time. Okay, so we're still in verse 1. And Peter goes on to talk about why Christian women should live like this. He says, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. It's the same thing he was saying about the way that that all of us relate to others in chapter 2. What I'm saying is that Peter isn't laying out some random list of, of laws here. He's saying live like this because it will reflect positively on God. Live like this because it will make your unbelieving husband say, wow, look at my wife. She's amazing. There must be something about her God. That's why in verses 3 and 4, he goes on to talk about beauty. Because he's saying um, that this kind of living in this culture, and I want to stress that, in this culture, this kind of living would make a man look twice. Living like this turns the head of a husband more than fancy clothes and beautiful jewellery. Verse 3, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self. Your beauty, he's saying, should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Now, I can't prove this next part, but I suspect that while uh, verses 1 to 4, what we've just uh, read and talked through, I suspect that while verse 1 was somewhat challenging and a little controversial, I want to suggest to you that verse 7 is far more challenging and more controversial for Peter's first readers. Verse 7 says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Telling wives to willingly submit to their husbands is one thing. But listen to this. Telling husbands to be considerate of, other translations say to give honour to, telling husbands to be considerate of and to give honour to their wives, this is crazy talk. This This is totally radical teaching. And notice that he begins with the words, in the same way. He begins the same way as he did with them, in the same way and likewise. He's saying this statement is also linked to what's come before. What I'm saying to husbands is linked to what I'm saying to wives and to what I was saying to everyone about the government and about living in the broader community. In other words, what what Peter's saying to husbands is the same thing that he's saying to wives. I know it doesn't read like that. When we read it with 21st century eyes, we read that he's saying something, uh, you know, he's sort of saying something like this to husband and this to wives. But in that culture, what he's saying to husbands and to wives is effectively the same thing. He's saying to husbands, in a culture where the normal thing is for you to treat your wife as a possession, in a culture where for the normal, the normal thing is for you to do whatever you want to your wife and with your wife. 
He's saying, don't live like that. Rather, be considerate. Respect and honour your wife. Paul, uh, another leader in the early church, uh, wrote a letter to another church in Ephesus. It's in our Bible in the book of Ephesians. Um, and, and he has a similar teaching um, when he's teaching that church uh, about how to live within marriage. And he says it this way. This is uh, Ephesians 5.25. He says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Just like Peter, uh, Paul points to Jesus and he says, Jesus is your example for how you love others. Jesus is your example for how you love within the context of marriage. And he said, and what is that example? Well, Jesus was willing to die for those that he loved. Telling men to treat their wives with honour and respect, uh, that was totally radical. That was totally unexpected and totally against the flow of what happened in that early culture. But it was totally normal within the church. It was totally what was expected for Christians, for Christian men and for Christian women within marriage. So again, this is Peter drawing people back to the life and to the example of Jesus. Uh, Peter's saying, this is how Jesus treated people, and this is how we're going to treat one another within the church, within the context of marriage. Verse 8 says, finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called. This might be our biggest clue to understanding the roles of Christian men and women in marriage. Uh, Most scholars uh, read verse 8 and 9 here and and a couple of verses after it. They read these verses as a summary, not just of the previous paragraph, but they read this as a summary of everything that's happened from what we call chapter 2 verse 11 uh, until this point. In other words, Peter's summing up this whole section on holy living, this whole section on how we relate to our boss at work, on how we relate to our government authorities, on how we relate to people in our community, on how wives relate to husbands in marriage and husbands relate to wives in marriage. He's summing up all of this by saying, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. In other words, what Peter's saying is, is this is the summary of all of that teaching. So if you're reading this, if you're reading these words, any of these words in this whole section, if you're reading any of this and you're coming to some other conclusion, if you're creating in your mind a summary other than what Peter's writing here, you've got it wrong. Because Peter's making it really clear what he's trying to say about marriage. He's making it really clear what he's trying to say to husbands and what he's trying to say to wives. And he's summing it up by saying, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and be humble. A lot of us can read this stuff like me stuck on that bouldering wall. You know, we're just seeing the path one way. You know, we're just fixed saying, I need to get from here to there, and this looks stuck. 
and some of us need to listen to the expert on the ground, you know, my bouldering expert on the ground. Some of us need, need to take a step back, a step sideways, a step backwards in order to go forwards. What looks like a backward step and a backward path can actually be the way forward. So let's switch gears and uh, uh, you know, we, we spend a lot of time talking about what Peter's saying to his first century audience and how they would have understand these words. But what are we supposed to do with this letter? What does this mean for us uh, in marriages, but not just in marriages, more broadly than that? Well, firstly, let me say the same thing this week that I said to last week when we were talking about how we interact with our government. And let me say this, whatever you do with this text, don't skip it. Don't ignore it or skip it uh, or skim over it because it seems awkward or harsh or old-fashioned or demeaning or, or, or whatever. Sit with the text. Allow it and invite it to speak to you. Read it, study it, reread it. But, because I believe that this text is none of those things. I believe that this text is Peter making a powerful call to marriage and to life, but a powerful call to marriages based on mutual love, mutual respect, and mutual submission. And I say that based not just on these words, but actually reading these words in the light of all of Scripture. I mean, remember, Peter isn't making this stuff up. Right? Peter's not sitting there with a blank parchment thinking, I've got to write something. I've got to make up some rules for this church. What will I make up? Peter was there with Jesus on the night before his crucifixion when Jesus took a towel and a wash basin and washed the feet of his disciples, including Peter's feet, and said, I have set you an example that you should do for one another as I have done for you. John 13, 15, if you're, if you're taking notes. Peter was there on the same night when Jesus said, a new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. John 13, uh, 34 and 35. C can you see that there's this, there's this same core message coming through in the teaching of Jesus and the teaching of Peter here? To love one another, to be considerate, to be respectful, to be humble, to honour one another, uh, to, to, to put others above yourself, to submit your desires uh, and to submit your ways um, so that you can lift others up. This is how Jesus lived this is what Jesus taught Peter, and this is what Peter's teaching those early churches. And I mean, I guess what I'm saying is, this is what I believe Peter's letter wants to teach us in this 21st century. He said, when times get tough, when the world's against you, remember, you are chosen by God. We looked at that in the very start of this letter, uh, 1 Peter 1. Uh, verse 1 and 2. And this is how he started this letter. He says, you are chosen. He says, and no matter what comes against you, live a holy, set-apart life. Don't conform to the world uh, to the world and the ways of the world around you. We read that in 1 Peter 1, uh, verse 14. But, but rather, follow Jesus' example in all walks of life. In your community, uh, with your government, in your workplace, and in your marriages, with everyone. And Jesus' example is love. 
Can you see how this all, all sort of hangs together? That's why I say, if you're reading these verses and you're getting, uh, you're getting an idea, you're getting a message other, other than this, you're missing, the, you're missing the big picture. You're missing what Peter's really trying to convey. You're missing the thread that holds all of this together. To love one another as I have loved you. That's the way of Jesus. It was Peter's way, and it's been the call of the Christian church ever since Peter wrote these words. So what do we do with all of this? We live lives that are about loving one another. In our marriages, in our communities, in terms of the way we relate to people at work, the way we relate to our government, we are called to live lives that love one another that honour and respect one another, that submit to one another. And yes, I know that whole submission word is still a, a sticking point for someone, but, but submit to one another in, in the sense that we put the needs of other people before the needs of ourselves. That's the Christian way of living, both inside and outside of marriage. That's the way not just to survive whatever difficulties are coming our way, not just to survive, but to thrive. That's the message of 1 Peter chapter 3.